Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to How We Evolve. What happens when you're building one of the most innovative companies and coolest brands that is getting attention from all corners of the world and a baby drops into your life at the same time? Two experiences that you can do all you want to try to consciously prepare for, but can never really be prepared for. Well, that's the experience that our guest this week is living through right now. His name is Robbie Bent. He's the co-founder and CEO of Othership, a company whose mission is to serve as a house of transformation for all, both through its Breathwork app and its Othership spaces that offer otherworldly bathhouse experiences that create a new form of wellness entertainment through sauna, ice baths, and breathwork. Robbie is also one of the few guests, along with Rick Doblin and Dr. Andrew Weil, who we've had on this podcast more than once. Our first conversation took place right before he embarked on a retreat at Holos to prepare for the birth of his son, Onyx. If you want to give a listen to that one and get some background, it's linked in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And for any New Yorkers listening, if you want to know the timing and location of other ships' first New York locations, make sure you listen to the end. Thanks for listening. So, um, tell me how uh, how are you doing? How's how's fatherhood? How's how's life? Um, how's Onyx doing? He's great, man. He's like a he's like in the stage where he's almost like a wild animal. Like he. <laughs> We have a hardwood floor, and so he he never like he just started pulling himself everywhere, and then yeah. instead of crawling, he goes like Mowgli in the Jungle Book, and he's like on all fours, like just yeah. in like almost like a downward dog, like clomping around, and it it's been an interesting journey. But right now, he's at the stage of like, okay, I can move around really fast, and I'm gonna break stuff. So it's <laughs> it went from you know watching him as a dad when you're young there it's like they i don't know if you heard this term like stations of neglect so <laughs> i had kind of that term before. yeah so i would kind of put him in you know a baby bjorn chair he'd be good for oh, 15 yeah. minutes i drink my coffee i move him to like the next station and I, my morning would be you know kind of four stations and then it, it's the time is done and you know that's my morning with him and i hand him back and now he's like you need to watch him the whole time. Like everything's in his mouth. He's grabbing the TV. He's pulling all the plugs out. We have a water cooler downstairs and his favorite thing is to come and like push. Like he's big <laughs> enough. Now he climbs up and he pushes the tap and the water goes everywhere. And so it's like really interesting seeing the boy energy and being like, holy shit. It gets totally changed the way I feel about my parents. You know, you're a kid and you, you don't realize that you're like a wild creature and I'm, I'm sure different children are different personalities but it's quite uh it's just demanding you know it's it's challenge it's a challenging thing um so i think something my wife said to me was really interesting where like a lot of moments of joy but not much fun yep <laughs> so that's kind of i mean maybe this sounds selfish and fine just in you know, full transparency, I'll sit and like, uh, I'll get like one moment every two days where I'm like, whoa, this is fucking awesome. And yeah. so we take them and different dads are different. You know, maybe I'm more selfish than the normal person, but we'll sit on the park bench and like feed him a croissant in the morning. And that's like our big thing. We go for a walk. My wife and I, we get coffee, croissant, we feed him the croissant. He loves the croissant. He'll sit there while he's eating the croissant. And like, maybe, so that moment's great for yeah. like the, while he's eating it. And then he fucking loses his mind and like, we'll actually put him on the ground in the dog park and he like runs with the dogs and that's super cute. And then the rest 
is like him screaming and crying and you know i'm trying to get hugs in like i'm so excited like oh will he just hug me and he won't yeah. anymore unless he's tired and so maybe once every three days or something he'll be tired enough where he like comes and gives me a hug and it's like oh my god that's fucking amazing and mixed in with just like oh, we got to find a weekend nanny and we can't like, you know, oh, we really want to do stuff in a relationship, but it's like I'm also tired. So, you know, let's just stay home and go to sleep. Um, and we only have one. And yeah. so it's kind of like even pathetic to complain in some ways. Like I feel guilty because I'm like, hey, my, my, my wife does like most of the work. We have a lot of help. Yeah. Um, and I'm still finding it like a mix of like love and irritation and, and stuff. So it's, it's quite a journey and I wouldn't change anything. And I'm like very happy with these amazing moments, but it's like a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it does change and it does get a hell of a lot easier. I'm sure you've had tons of people tell you this, but he's eight months old now, roughly. 11, 11 months. Yeah. 11, 11 months. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it starts to get easier. And then around, you know, probably around two to three, they become real little people um, in a way that as a dad, probably more so than as a mom, because moms, based on what I've heard and what I've seen, you know, have that immediate natural kind of interactive rapport. It's just the function of, I think, carrying a baby for nine months before they come into this world. Whereas dads, we're we're learning, right? We don't, we don't come with that instinctually. I don't think, um, nearly as much at least, um, uh, but around two or three, they become people, uh, in, in a different way. And that's where like that, that dad bond starts to like really elevate and you can, it, it really does change. At least it did, did in my experience that you're not just like taking care of a kid. Now you're interacting with another human being, uh, you know, a pissing, shitting, crying, human being sometimes but uh it is it does change and, and in my experience it's just been an uphill kind of experience not uphill that's a, that's the wrong word but like it just gets better and better and better and better with time but this stage you're in right now is the first three months are certainly most challenging the next little while continues to be hard and then it hits a turning point where it doesn't require so much hands-on panic terror of trying to balance everything they become a little bit more independent that gives you more freedom and more opportunity to actually interact one-on-one -on -one and see them for who they are instead of just being constant like guardian mode try not to let the baby die kind of experience <laughs> that's been uh, that's been my kind of jam and then you know the days when they get to the point where it's probably getting close but you come home from a day of work or whatever and they come and run to the door to meet you it's like that's that that's where the juice is yeah, I love, um, I work remote so I can, you know, every, within every couple hours I'll go down and spend like 15 minutes and he's usually in the kitchen. It's like, I'm down, he's smiling, sitting in his chair. And like the moment I find as the parents, the moment, like he sees me so excited, like this huge grin laughing. And then as soon as I'm like in the room, it kind of, the excitement is gone. And then he's back to like doing his own thing. And, but those, like those little moments are awesome. And I'll find myself at work and like, I want to just go like, look at him for a couple of minutes and yeah. I'll just come down. It's, it's like, even my brain is so intensely focused all the time. Like I'm very like, you know, to do list ADHD, all these things, always thinking about work and kind of neurotic in that way. And so it's, it's like, oh, okay, I can go play with him for a few minutes and I'm not thinking about that. Sometimes I am, but, but it's definitely 
there's like moments and in, baked into every day of like gratitude and love, which is a big change versus just like, Oh fuck, let's go. Like let's push, let's crank. And, um, so it's kind of like an actually built in meditation in, in ways, which is nice. Yeah. It's one of the realizations I've had over the last six months since I left field trip is how much being an entrepreneur is its own form of spirituality in the sense that even when you're spending those 15 minutes with Onyx or whatever, it's still kind of floating right here, right? It's still that omnipresent God kind of, I'm still behind you. I'm not going away. You can't escape me. You know, even if you turn off your phone, I know I'm still in your thoughts somewhere. Uh, and it's been a wonderful reprieve to step away from work for six months and just not, um, go through that and especially the challenge too because right just um the scott galloway episode that's about to come out tomorrow you know one of the things scott talks about and i'm curious to hear your reflections on this as well but one of the things he says is like i know i'm blessed he's like i got lots of money i've got a beautiful wife i've got a great sex life my my kids are healthy you know i got nothing to complain about but if at the end of the day that last social post didn't trend like I wanted it to, or my interview on MSNBC, I didn't sound like I wanted to. That 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 governs my mood. That decides whether it's a good day or a bad day, and that's it. And I'm like, fuck yeah, that that really is it. And and you sit there and you know, the passion you have for your children is way higher, but somehow, work comes in and can displace all of it. Even if it's a perfect day with your kids, if you have a shitty day at work, that governs. I think that affects most people. I would probably be inclined to say that probably disproportionately affects men, but curious to know if you have any thoughts or responses to that. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I'm thinking about work all the time and it ranges from, you know, I listen to these founders podcasts and the podcast is called founders and it's just, one guy narrating his learnings from all the best biographies of business leaders. So, you know, yeah. Steve Jobs has like six episodes, Elon Musk, different ones that are related to what I'm doing too. So Trader Joe's and in and out, and he goes through the time to read the 700 page biography and distill it down into, you know, one hour of just the learnings. And so I'm listening to these just to get hyped up, like so fucking hyped. And in my body, it just, I'm hearing these stories of like building product where it is the most important thing to these people. Like, you know, the story of Bugatti cars and how he built them or Balenciaga and the guy who's, you know, dedicates his entire life to making dresses. And it just fucking fires me up to like, all I want to do is build this thing. I want the product to be so fucking good that you come in, the smell is perfect. You are greeted in the perfect way. As you walk through the experience, you are brought to tears. You uh, bring a friend and then you tell like just every single touch point of the experience. When you hear other people doing this, it like fires me up to a point that is unhealthy because then like, I want it so bad and I want to make this thing like, you know, whereas you would say, like I went in, that was the best experience I've ever had, you know, or something happened for me that something shifted and I no longer go to therapy or you know, I thought about my dad and it was the first time I could forgive him, like those kind of transformational experiences. So on one hand, I'm like listening to this stuff and, and becoming like a psychopath about like, you know, the uniforms have to be perfect. We need to deliver them in a beautiful box. So when you get it, it's like a welcome into the team as a special, like, so I'm, I'm on, on one hand, like so focused, so excited. Like I worked 
five front desk shifts last week just to be checking in on like, is our training good enough? Are we greeting people? What should we be saying? Um, and on the other hand, like, okay, so, you know, I'm going in and uh, we're delayed uh, a month. I randomly get inside. We planned everything for this launch. We're delayed a month. Obviously, there's like a huge cost to that. It just feels like you get hit in the fucking face. It's like you're in the first couple when you're an entrepreneur, especially when you have like these optimistic expectations, it's just like you're slugged in the face and you don't know what to do. And you're like, whoa. And you know, but the fifth time it happens, you're kind of, and my reaction was always anger. So I would just get super pissed and I'd be like, whose fucking fault is this? Who's responsible? You mentioned like entrepreneurship is like consciousness, you know, practice. Cause you, and with friends, you can kind of back away. You can kind of yeah. like, oh, maybe I won't hang out with that person. In entrepreneurship, you can't. The decisions are there. If people aren't performing, you need your boundaries. Like you have to have the conversation. And there's a lot on the line as well, like your livelihood, possibly. You know, like I've signed these leases, I've guaranteed debts. So I used to get super angry and still kind of do. That's like my defense yeah. mechanism. So here the, the oh my God, we're going to be delayed. And my first thing, like I want to just fucking scream. And eventually you get punched in the face so many times that you, you know, maybe know to like slip with the punch a little bit this time. And so I'm, I'm working through that. So on one hand, I'm like so pumped and think about this all the time. I want to build this thing. On the second hand, I'm like stressed because bad things are happening. That's like, as a CEO, all you do is say no, you know, vendors, investors, bad customers, employees, like your job is just to say no. So you're kind of like the inspirer on one hand, but also the villain on the other. And you have to deal with all the hard decisions. So you're just kind of, it's, it's like a stressful role. And then on the third, so that's why I think, yeah, bad day. You know, I get that. I come home. I'm not even present. I'm just sitting there. My wife's playing with my kid and they're like, let's have dinner. And I'm just thinking like, and she can see I'm pissed. My hands move. Like I'm just in silence, but I'm like, she's like, okay, I can see you're having an argument in your head with nobody. And like, I'm imagining scenarios. And it's just so hard to like do a 12 hour day where you're so invested and hyped and stressed and like, let that go. You can't just like, Oh, I'm a fucking normal human being. And so sometimes if I don't have as much on my plate, I can create space and be present. But sometimes, yeah, just like, it's not for me, but like did the social post perform? It's like, is this going to work? And like, how could dare this person do this to me? And that's something I'm really working on is like regulating my emotions, being better able to sit with the discomfort, especially being able to turn off. But I'm like, very junior at it now as yeah. a leader. And then on the third hand, I used to be like, oh, this is so hard, but like, it's fucking not, you know? And so and, and what I mean by that, I'll unpack that a bit. Is like one, like I watched my wife be a mom and I was like, yeah, I work hard. And like, it is nothing compared to, so she takes a night, she's just like a natural nurturer, which I am not. Like I really struggle with chores. My mind goes super fast and I just, I'm, I suck at like keeping the house clean. I hate it. Being in these like moments of boredom is very hard for me. And so she's just like taking the brunt. She does like 95% of the work. Um, <clears throat> I support, you know, here and there and financially and stuff, but it, it's like, I watch her like doing the sleep training getting up in the middle of the night to feed, like, especially when you're breastfeeding for six mm -hmm. months or whatever it is, like she didn't sleep for more than three hours for like months. I'm just watching like, Oh my God, this is so fucking hard. This is so much harder than what you do. And then I've started listening to some of these podcasts on like hard lives. So I heard the story. I think his name's Alistair Urquhart. Craziest story, like Vietnam prisoner of or J Japanese prisoner of war 
they made him walk into the jungle of the railroads with like no clothes and build this railroad. He had like five tropical diseases and only ate rice, sometimes nothing for three years. His whole stomach lining was gone. He, like, and, and they would torture him the whole time. And then he got shipped into like a submarine, like the bottom of this boat where people were like cannibalizing the other people in just complete darkness, like working. Jesus. Then he escaped that and was like made to walk naked through Japan, was in the nuclear bomb blast got safe after that but it was like seven years of just the worst horrors i could imagine and i'm like fuck i can't even say even though i feel like you know you mentioned scott who feels like oh my god my social post didn't go well like these aren't even real things and so they feel real to me but what's been helpful is listening to like some of this stuff and i'm like oh my god like i'm okay building my dream like so what i worked 16 hours today and had coffee and like some people didn't deliver like and it feels hard. So it, I do feel angry and I'm struggling That's with much. it, but I'm also like, man, I'm like, you know, I've been, I did a cleaning shift at the space and it's intense. Like you're there, you're, you're like under the, imagine a sauna, 350 people are there a day. Like what kind of sweat is coming off? And I'm we're like scrubbing the floors, you know, with hardcore chemicals, a mask on. And I was like, damn, this is harder than my fucking job. Like significantly, you know, in terms of like the manual labor and like the, intensity of what's required. And I just find, so all taking all those things into account, you can be super passionate, you can be stressed, things can be hard, but how do you kind of let like all those go to be present? And I don't have the answer. I think I'm kind of tanking it a bit and like letting my thoughts run on overdrive, but, but listening to these stories has been quite helpful and seeing like what my wife is doing and appreciating her. So there, there's a whole mix of, emotions in there but one thing i'm trying to do now is not because the oh, entrepreneurship is so hard such a grind and it is but like trying to reframe uh, of like I, I chose this thing and yeah i think the other piece too is i don't have a lot of freedom right now um i guess i do but I, it doesn't feel the way it did six seven years ago you know there's like a yeah. family with real needs and there's a business with real needs and so most of my time is compacted and that irks a little bit feels a bit like being in a cage even though i'm doing exactly what i love yeah uh, so all those things are like pretty present for me now i can talk about like I, you know kind of techniques i've been using but that's that's kind of what came up when you said that so i i resonate with scott's point and i think that's just kind of life yeah i can share <clears throat> Scott's point still holds true to me uh, for for sure, but I can share that over the last six months, and and I know last time you came on the podcast, actually, you were talking about how your last business was business was kind of a rock sh rocket ship, and then failed, and it was such a huge relief. But <clears throat> certainly, I've found since I left Field Trip, it's put all of that pod all of that entrepreneurial stuff in perspective. Being like, it actually mostly does not matter. Othership is a success or a failure. The world goes on. You know, you will pick up the pieces like you did in your last business, like I will now, and you will go on and you will build something great. And for me, the last six months, even though it's been far from perfect, not having that thing hanging over my head all the time 
has given me a lot of space to appreciate hanging out with my kids and taking them out and doing things with them. And now they're a little bit older than Onyx, so that's a lot easier at this age than than where you are right now. But it's been profound, and it's been a super big reminder of a reflection of what actually matters. You know, I'm, I'm advising my buddy Phil, uh, who runs a company called Abandoned Grove. They go to, and they're in Italy, uh, and they rejuvenate olive oil groves and then produce some of the world's best olive oil. And together we came up with the slogan for it of rediscover what's meaningful. You know, and, and this is a product where you get to a little bit rediscover what's meaningful because not only are you getting a great product that's healthy, you're also doing something that's impacting the lives of people, you know, across the across the world in this particular case. But it, it really was a wonderful lesson and, and that's what's coming through for me right now. And uh, you know, it I, I know Ryan Holiday is a is a big fan of talking about Marcus Aurelius and meditating on losing it all and I always tried that and never fucking worked. And you just kind of have to go through one of those big hits and then you're like, Oh, okay. This puts everything back in perspective. Um, I don't know if that helps at all, but just a reminder to kind of take a deep breath every once in a while. Not that you don't know the power of the breath, but uh, it really has helped that again, speaking personally, like with field trip, like I not only bore the burden of our employees and our investors. In many ways, it felt like much of the psychedelic renaissance was a little bit carried on our shoulders because if we can't build the clinics and make them work, then how is everything else going to work out um, in our absence? And lo and behold, there's no field trip anymore and everything's working out just fucking fine. And that was a good reminder. It was, it was uh, a good dose of humility, but in the best sense, being like, Oh yeah, I didn't need to carry that weight. That was that was all just self-imposed, and I can let that go. And I couldn't let that go without having it ripped from my cold, dead hands, like Clint fucking Eastwood. But um, being on the other side of it, just a little bit of a reminder to take that into perspective. Has fatherhood changed your perspective on all of those considerations as you kind of navigate it now? I imagine in some ways it's made it easier in other ways it's made it harder. Well, I just still have this like deep desire to like put something excellent into the world and like really it's, like, I just, I just love it. Like I just love delivering these experiences and there's such a drive to like continue to do them. And so this business isn't really, it was never really financially driven for me. It wasn't even meant to be a business. It's just this idea. And it, this is a fake idea also. Like you said, like, you know, you mentioned I was carrying the whole psychedelic thing on my shoulders. And it turns out it's not real. Like this idea that I need to deliver something excellent to like follow my passion and, and meaning and like give these experiences to people. It is such a like addiction, I guess. <laughs> And I just love, like, I'll sit and think about, like, oh, could that song be specifically better? Could, like, that one thing that guide said be more powerful? Could, you know, the design in your could the color be, like, a little bit different? And so that hasn't changed at all, which I was wondering what might happen. Because you, you said, like, oh, you're with your family, and this is, like, clearly the most important thing. But work is, like, it's just very important to me. And I, I wonder digging into like it doesn't feel like it's at first it was sort of success related and i had like you know when we were first started and when you guys were coming in it was in my garage and i was playing a sound bowl and 
oh, are you a facilitator? And I would like take it to heart. No, I'm not a facilitator. I'm like, this is like, <laughs> you know, I felt like offended by that a little bit. And then, um, it's like, oh, I went to business school. And that's again, like an insecure thought. But at first I felt like, oh, I'm just doing this thing in my backyard. Does it mean I'm a, a failure? And then I also really wanted to be on podcasts when we started. And so I was like trying to get on all these podcasts and like tell my story and be in the limelight and feel like confident. And that has faded a lot. Uh, so I feel like, oh, we've built something great. And I feel that inside, but still the desire to like make it even better. Not really for what other, other people think, but personally, there's something there of like, oh, am I good enough, I guess. Yeah. And that really hasn't changed with the with my son. It's like the same. And I, I wonder, I'm worried. I do have guilt around like what happens in a year because I work from home. I'm at home a lot. I'm home. You know, I take three or four mornings a week. I'm home. We set some boundaries. I felt kind of guilty also with my wife because she's doing most of the work. So we kind of said, look, three or four mornings uh, a week, that would be helpful. And then at night, 5 p.m., computers off, come down and like eat dinner. Some of those dinners I mentioned, I'm there mentally. Some I'm just like, you know, angrily pacing around. <laughs> um, and so I just, I feel a little lucky at this age, like I kind of, for the fathers listening, I've heard like both things, right? I have one dad who I know who's like one of the most successful people I know who just is obsessed with work. And he's just like, I don't understand your problem. This is just an input output. He's like, he's not going to remember anything until he's three. He's like more nannies, more work like you need to do what you need to do to like crush your job well okay that's pretty hardcore but you know and then on the other hand i have friends who are stay-at-home dads doing like 70 percent of the work like every little item of like hey, i'm taking everything off to just be with my son and and so kind of like looking at that and i personally feel like more towards the he's not gonna remember this and it feels boring at times and so but but I know what you said where you're like, okay, you know, he's starting to become a little person. And so it hasn't felt that guilty to be working a lot and be at home a bit, but what happens in a year, in two years? And I definitely, I definitely want to be a good dad, you know, and guilt is already kind of like creeping in and it's hard because I just fucking love working and like love what we're building. But, and like right now that feels more fun than, yeah being a dad. Um, but you know, I also had a moment where I went away for a wedding for three days and I like missed my wife and son so much. It was so nice to come home to them. So I'm really, I don't have like a clear path of what has changed, but there's like a lot of emotions coming up of like, how do, how do I balance all these things? What are the right things? Another thing that stuck with me from like a lot of, I'll try to talk to people, you know, you're ahead of me on my journey. There's many dads, especially ones that have like worked a lot and were successful. It's like, what, all of them like, okay, that, you know, from when they're two until they're like eight or 10, that's when you're their hero and you can never buy that tie back. And, you know, once they're 12, like you're not the, you're, the friends are more important. And so just remember, and all of them, some of them were like, I'd pay like 10 million or like, you know, whatever, 50% of my net worth to like be back in that time. So there's fear already building of like, fuck. I don't want to miss it, but then the desire is real to keep working. I'm like, I can't sit still at home and just be if I have stuff on my to-do list. Yeah. That's a big, big fucking problem for me. And so I have a, you know, I have a 
coach or do therapy. I have like, even like talking like this on a podcast is like a form. It's like we're doing a therapy session right now, kind of. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't have an answer and I'm, I'm like no. struggling a little bit. There, there is no answer. Uh, the answer is always going to change and shift. One question that comes up is what does success look like to you uh, on the business side? Is, the, is there going to be a moment where Robbie stops and says, ah, I've done it. I don't, I don't know, man. You know, like I really like just for people who don't know what we're working on, like it started in my backyard. It was just for fun. And then we're like, oh, you know, there seems to be a demand. We can build one space. And then the space has had such significant success. And it's actually like it's changing people's lives. Like somebody drove, somebody flew the other day from Vancouver and showed up and booked six sessions in a row. I'm like, what are you doing here? She's like, oh, you know, I just broke up with my boyfriend and I'm doing a self-guided othership retreat. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> and they're like, I'm taking like loving kindness, forgiveness over and over to like heal from my breakup. Like, okay. You know, then another guy f- drove here from Seattle got an Airbnb and stayed here for a month just to do a class every day. And I was like, this is crazy what is happening. And so when we started seeing like that kind of stuff happen, I was like, wow, I definitely want to build this in other places. So part of me is like so stoked about the impact and part is very competitive. You know, we, we actually just through luck and like testing and passion created something that is like worldwide unique, which for Canadian company is very, especially in wellness or brick and mortar is very rare. Like usually it's, U.S. franchises come to Canada, like berries, you know, someone licenses them, they dominate. And so it's so exciting to be from like the small town outside of Toronto and like build this thing and like, okay, we're going to New York, like the fucking Mecca. And we're like putting our mark on it. So there's part of me that's like so excited about that specifically. Yeah. But if you would have asked me like, you know, two years ago, it would have been like, oh, if we just opened this one in Toronto, like that would be amazing, you know, and it's done now. And so now it's like New York. So what happens after that? Is it like, oh, well. We have to do it in Mexico City and London. Like, I don't know where enough is. And so far, the goalposts are always moving. Yeah. I think after next year, it, like right now, the company in my mind is default dead. Or like if I stepped away, it could die. And I think once New York launches, and we have four ships all doing well. If we had a similar launch in New York to Toronto, it's like default alive. And then I would feel much less stress in that. Like right now, it feels like do or die every decision. It feels like I'm on the hook for these leases. It feels like I could fucking go broke. I had to get my dad to like co-sign something. So it's a fucking intense, um, yeah. like the financial loss part, which creates fear. So th- sure. that's still driving me. But like next year, what happens? Okay, we have four and it's like a proven, you know, to you, you're like, hey, other ship's successful. And it is in a lot of ways. But once we have four, what happens? Because in my head, I'm telling people like, we're going to build 50, you know, but do you want to build 50? Is it? And I do like in my head, I like listen to these podcasts. So I'm like, I just listened to one on Nike uh, on the acquired podcast this morning. And I was so hyped. I was like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe they built this. It's such a fucking amazing thing to like create something of that scale that touches so many people. So that's kind of the impetus is just to build something great. But like, yeah, there's a huge cost. Like one thing across all these entrepreneurial podcasts, every single one, like the founders, like mental health is pretty bad. Yeah. You know, so listen to like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and like I'm inspired, but also like, well, this is fucking intense. Like these guys, like their entire lives, like they work and I'm kind of like that also, but then I'm like, am I going to be happy, you know, in like five years? So 
I don't have an answer to that one either. Right now, I just fucking love it. And it's so easy for me to like wake up and reach for my keyboard and feel powerful and yeah. excited and like drink yeah. a coffee and just be like in that zone. But like how, how, how much, I mean, maybe there's a lot of meaning there and just building something all the time that is better than like, you know, watching TV and chilling out. I don't know, but I do feel there's risk of like, like overextending in that direction. And I'm fearful yeah. of like looking back in 10 years and having regrets. Yeah. I'll start by saying, um, in my mind, othership is already a success. Uh, I've traveled around the world and I have, but in the last year or so I've traveled to a number of different places and just about everywhere I go now, admittedly we're in a bit of a bubble where the entrepreneurial community and the mastermind talks folks and all that kind of stuff all kind of get together in all the same places but everybody knows about othership and everybody is touched by othership and is excited by it in almost exactly the same way that the response we got to field trip everyone everywhere i go people will be like oh yeah i know field trip i was like oh whew. and uh and so i get it i get that feeling of like i'm there's something being built that's really important here. Um, and so I respect that and, and honor that. And it feels amazing. And I know it does. Um, and also being on the flip side of the equation, I also know at this point, um, the success is already in the world, right? It's, it's no one can take it away now. Even if you sputter and burn out, you'll have made that mark. And those few people who traveled across the country to go to other ship in Toronto, you've already touched them. And so I, I would just strongly encourage you to try and let that in. It's really fucking hard. And it took me six months after one hell of a, a ride to get here to finally be like, actually it was, it was in the conversation with Alex Charfin. I don't know if you had the chance to listen to that podcast, but I'll, I'll send it to you where he's like, you've already made the mark, right? You've, you've done it. It's like, it doesn't matter that it's no longer operating or it's not a success in the conventional sense. It's like you move the needle that, that no one can take that away right now. That was the first time I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. I can, I can let that in. And so if there's anything I can implore on you is try and let that in. And, and it frees up a lot of space to decide whether you want to be like, the Elon Musk. It's like when you talk about the founders podcast, in one sense, I totally get it that, that like, fuck, I want to do something like that. And then I kind of wonder is like, is that my ego or is that actually just jealousy? Like I remember being a kid and I remember hearing about how women's self image was so tied to all those fucking magazines and the small bodies and the Photoshop and, and all that kind of stuff. And got logically, not intuitively, and then one day I found myself looking at a GQ and feeling like, fuck, I need to go out and buy some new clothes. Like I do not look good enough. I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's what it feels like. That's what all the women who are talking about this issue feel like. I just felt that right now. It felt really real. And so when I hear you kind of listening to this, the founders podcast, I kind of wonder is like, is it, feeding the positive or is it kind of feeding the negative? I don't have an opinion on it, but I'd invite you to I don't, I don't know either. Cause I know when I listen, I'm like, oh, I just want to work harder. You know, it's like, is, that, <laughs> yeah. is that good? But like, there are lessons that are applicable to your business a hundred percent. But like, you know, one thing they, they'll say is just, Hey, some of, he just talks, he, he meet the, the host meets a lot of founders 
And he's like, you wouldn't believe how many I've talked to that are so sad at how successful and big their business is. And it's just like not fun. And so for me now, like the fun part was, you know, Tuesday night, which you should come if it's a little bit late for a dad, but we're hosting a Huberman is in town giving a talk. And after the talk, we're all going to go to other ship and have a big party free for the community. Saxophone players, djembe players, DJ, like it's going to be fucking awesome. And so that's like so much fun. You know, it's just like a free night, probably 80, 90 people show up and it'll be epic. You know, sometimes we'll go on like a company retreat and we'll do psychedelics together in like a giant drum circle we did around a fire where it was a breathwork drum circle. It's like, well, this is incredible. And the bigger you get, like, we can't even do that stuff anymore. Yeah. Uh, from like, we have investors and, you know, so it's like, okay, what's my job now? And it's like, I'm signing leases and touring spaces. I think that's kind of fun, but like, not really. And then it's like, oh my God, there's a million construction problems and I'm doing three builds at once. And it's like, oh, I haven't even been in the space in a week. And it's kind of like if we just had two in Toronto, it would just be fun all the time. They're already built. And it's just like all these wicked events going in, being with the community. So that's something I take to heart too, is just, you know, as you grow, which we have five co-founders and the goal is to grow, but like, yeah, you lose some of the magic of like what makes your role fun day to day. And so I'm a little bit nervous about yeah. that. Like there's still tons of fun times, but I can imagine with field trip at first, it's probably so exciting. And I bet you the last six months before you stopped are probably like your, you know, not to project, but probably like your guts were ripped out and like just every conversation is negative. You got to, I haven't been through this and you have to let everyone go. And then, you know, there's probably landlords and leases and it's just was, you know, yeah. So, um, it's interesting that some of them will say, despite trying, you think you want it to be big. And then once it's big, you're like, fuck, I made a mistake. So I, yeah, I don't know the answer to that one either. There are no answers to it. Just, just questions for, for self-reflection. And honestly, like I'm just sharing these thoughts because I have a lot of respect for you. I, I like you a lot. And, you know, I, I want people to benefit from the wisdom of what I suffered through. You know, it was a slow moving train wreck where I saw the outcome. The outcome was all but for a miracle preordained and, Every day I got up and every day I put my shoulder into stopping a slow moving train. And every day I went to bed and no change. A couple of times there's some hope that there, a miracle was coming. Um, and uh, yeah, it wasn't fun. It wasn't how, fun. How do you feel now? Like what's, the, what's the difference from like that moment where like that's a long time to be just, I know destruction is coming and then, you know, the destruction came and now you're because I had something similar happen. So I'm curious how you feel now. Yeah, I feel great now. I, I mean, it, it, it's, not, it's not uniform. It's not 100% always positive. But it was at first, the first two weeks, we're like, oh, what a fucking relief, right? Like the stress is off my shoulders. Someone is now taking it on. I don't have to worry about it. And then like the financial panic and the sense of self-worth issues kind of come in being like, well, if I'm not doing this, what the fuck am I doing? Am I now a failure? Um, and then the brain fog hit and I had a good, probably six months of pretty intense brain fog of just the kind of dead cat bounce of like, Oh, relief. Oh, all that stress, all that hurt, all that, um, heartbreak that I hadn't let myself feel kind of hit me and, and just nailed me. Um, 
and now six months out kind of picking up the pieces and and it took about a month or so but I ended up having a great time with my kids, spent a ton of time with my kids, wasn't stressed, a little bit of anxiety creeped in here and there, you know, worrying about money and all, all that kind of stuff. But now it's like, I don't know I ever want to do that again. I don't know <laughs> that I ever want to experience that, that again. It's like, the idea of a lifestyle business, like if I were in your shoes and I'm, I'm by no means saying this is what you should do, but if I was in your shoes and you know, the two Toronto other ship locations are spinning out enough cash to keep me financially content and I'm having a good fucking time, that sounds like a huge win. Now, maybe that's me right now in two years or three years. I'm like, nah, let's go fucking big. My kids are kind of grown up now. They're doing their own thing. I got lots of time and lots of energy. Let's put it into something. Maybe that'll change. But as of today, you know, I, I've, I've actually been exploring the coaching profession. And I just spoke with a guy named Scott Waldron yesterday. And I'm like, you've got it made, man, in some ways. Like, grass is green on, on the other side everywhere. But it's like, you show up. You show up for one or two or three hours and like you put your all into those hours coaching your clients and then you're done and you don't have to think about it again. Now it doesn't grow into a massive scalable business. There's no doubt about that, but he's making good living. And when he wants to turn off, he's off. And I'm like, that's fucking cool. That is really cool. Um, but again, to each their own and uh, you know, really understanding your motivations behind it and, and what fuels you. Because I know that there's a certain point where startup goes to being like a startup founder to a manager and, and just running a business as opposed to growing a business. And it's not fun. And it actually reminds me of another anecdote back, back when I was even more naive, uh, I thought I wanted to become a lawyer and I did become a lawyer, but um, my ex-girlfriend's father was a lawyer who became a business person and he was kind enough when I was in second year of undergrad to get me a job basically moving boxes at a big law firm in downtown Toronto and he was even went further and set up lunches for, for me with a bunch of the partners and I remember meeting with one tax partner and uh, he sat down and he looked at me he's like Ronan like you're a smart guy so I'm going to be honest with you don't do this he's like I spent 20 years working my ass off to build a practice and i guess i don't know if it was the late like late 80s early 90s econ economic crash he's like i lost everything i lost my whole practice and i had to start over and it's a grind and it's not like i love the work and like it paid me pretty well and he's like don't do this he's like i'm telling you outright don't go down the partnership track at a law firm it's not worth it you won't enjoy it and i was like <laughs> Right. Okay. Sure. Thank you for the advice and promptly ignored it. Spent the next few years going to law school, becoming a lawyer and being like, fuck, this actually really does suck. I should have taken that advice in the first place. Um, so that's how it goes. Well, at least you got out early though. So, you know, I did get I, early. I'm excited for you because what will happen, I'm assuming, um, you'll find something you're excited about and you won't ever think about field trip really again. And so I've had, like failures in my career have been the best learning experiences. And so, uh, and again, as you mentioned, like you actually build something and like helped a ton of people. So there, there is a success there. And, and so, you know, the business I built before didn't help anyone. And like the product wasn't good and, you know, they just failed. And so, uh, however, 
soon, like the day after, you know, the first time I found somebody, something new I was excited about, like when I found Ethereum, I was like, oh, fuck, who cares about this other stuff? Yeah, let's go all in. I had that excitement again. Yeah. And it happened again here naturally. And so I'm sure something will just pull your interest. And that's such a beautiful reminder that, you know, to me, just because I've been through that cycle of failure and wondering what to do, not with kids uh, yet, but a few, a few yeah. times, and it was just like, after you've done it once, twice, you're like, oh, I'll always we'll find something I'm interested in and passionate about. And whether it's coaching or podcasting or, you know, wh whatever, like there's just so many things in life to be excited about. So I'm curious. Uh, yeah. So what piques your interest next? One of the, the things, and I don't have an answer on that, I've like been thinking about is, and, and you touched on it, is like growth at all costs. Like <laughs> that, that seems to be like the default business. It's like growth is the thing. Um, and it's interesting because we accept it as a given, being like, oh, that's what you do in business. Does anyone stop to ask why? Um and there, there are some obviously good reasons because like, well, if you're not growing, someone else is going to come in and compete with you. And eventually maybe your business goes out. Yeah. Okay. But it is an interesting question. Why we go growth at all costs um, as opposed to happiness. Like what if the purpose of business was happiness? What does that look like? I don't know. <laughs> I'm curious to know um, a couple of things. One is, Last time we spoke on the podcast, you were about to go off on a journey to sort of clear the vessel um, to prepare for fatherhood. And I'm curious what came up during that. And has it been, have you been able to hold on to whatever insights came out of that? And then the second question, which is kind of related, is did you have expectations of what fatherhood would be like and trying to run a business through fatherhood and how has the reality matched up to the expectations? So I think for one, the fatherhood retreat was pretty incredible. It was the first time for me doing psychedelic medicines with a like close group of friends and family. Yeah. And so I've been to many ayahuasca retreats before and there's people lineage and it's, it was always pretty dark for me, like fucking intense, scary, purging, like struggling, holding the pillow, like just like very hard for me to uh, release. And it was like, I just, you know, all those years of being a drug addict and like getting that out, like intense traumas. Yeah. And uh, this time was so beautiful. And they, the way that one holos the land is just like absolutely incredible and immaculate. And it's just has this like, you know, it was much different to do the ceremonies in like the top of a mountain and like, you know, natural water. There's a cave we slept in yep. and it was like the womb of the earth. And the idea was that you come out reborn and there's just four waterfalls, like a fucking Lord of the Rings painting. And so I'm with, you know, my sister or family and a few interesting things happened there. So they, they allowed, I have trouble asking for help and they allowed like, wasn't like, Oh, stay on your own mat, you know? And so one of my friends who, you know, Steve Rio was, was yep. there with me. And I just, the second time I was struggling and I, I didn't say anything and I was just like, I'll just fight it. Like you can do it. And the third one was like quite intense daytime ceremony. And I was like, Hey, just fucking ask for help. So I'm like, Steve, I need you, man. Yelled it out. He came over and he just sat with me for like, an hour, like just holding me, hugging me. I was like, please don't leave. Like crying into his cheek. Felt like it was like my dad loving me. Uh, 
which is really powerful because I was like about to be a father. And it was just this idea that like, I'm worthy of love from my dad and uh, worthy of protection. Cause usually I'll be like, Oh, am I ruining his time? Like, and I kept saying like, I'm sorry to do this, man. I'm sorry. I'm ruining it for you. And he's like, dude, just fucking accept the love. Like just, just I'm here, man. I got you. And that was like one of the most powerful moments I've ever had in the psychedelic medicine, just to like feel worthy of love. Uh, another really interesting thing happened. Second ceremony, I took medicine and was like pretty in it, but was like, they asked to come and take more. And I thought about it for like 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, I, I just can't do it. Like, I don't want to go deeper. I'm afraid. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm, this is the kind of dad I'm going to be like just too weak to like be there when it counts. I was thinking about that for like 20 minutes. Like you can't even do it. Like you can't get more like, we're not, how are you going to show up? And then without taking any more the medicine, like ramped up, like this is where, you know, you talk about ayahuasca, how it's different than other psychedelic medicines. It's like, it just wrapped up with no reason for like a 20 X in intensity. I was purging both ends, like free, like fully in it. And it was almost like the medicine knew that I needed that level of intensity and gave it to me without taking more. So that was really interesting. And in, as part of that trip, and again, I'm pretty, skeptical person, you know, when it comes to like mysticism, these things will happen to me, but I'm, I'm not like, I'm pretty grounded and these things happen and I will acknowledge, but like, it takes a lot for me to, like, wow, that's a crazy experience. But so my like, people listening might be like this, what do you, you know, you lost me here. So fine. If that's, you know, the way you feel, I'm skeptical too. But so I'm in, in that mode, that second one, uh, you know, thinking about a lot being a dad, and my son came to me, like a soul of him, looking me in the eyes, was hugging him. And my wife calls me the next day. And she's like, hey, like, I had this really crazy experience. I'm like, what happened? She's like, I was doing acupuncture at the same time as I was doing the medicine ceremony. She didn't know or anything. And she's like, yeah, I, I was in like a subconscious state during the acupuncture, almost sleeping. And I felt like I talked to Ani and he was like, dad needs me. He's struggling. Can I go? And she's like, yeah, you can go. And so he like left. And so it kind of felt like he actually, like his soul, like came to help me when I was like having all these doubts. So that was, I felt like it was the first time I like met him. And so that was really powerful as well. Um, did the thing stick, you know, I, I, I don't think really. <laughs> and so I came home and I, I felt, you know, I spent two weeks, two months um, while he was born without doing uh, any Zooms just kind of emails per day. I didn't have any coffee for two months and I completely changed my diet. And so the idea was to be very present when he was here. Mm -hmm. But it kind of came back to reality that like, look, I fucking run a business. We moved two weeks after he was born. It was just like a lot like moving and setting up the house and, and work. And so I think the experience itself is something I'll remember forever. They did this amazing fatherhood ceremony for me where there was like a tribe that's been there for thousands of years on the land. And they've had this fatherhood tradition where they would paint using uh, this tree bark on your body that would provide a stay in tattoo for a number of weeks after. Yeah. And they paint this mural of like, it has to be a new dad painting to the new dad, like passing down the energy of being a new dad. And then everyone I was with came to me and said like, this is a time when you were a father to me and like you have this energy and it was just bawling my eyes out and was crying it's in like the you know the fourth day after all the ceremonies are done so the container is quite strong so those experiences are there and i can like 
remember and feel them and always and they're some of the best experiences of my life but like real behavioral change at home is significantly challenging and sometimes i'll be like oh my god all this work the last seven years there's no change i'm still like insecure i still like need to be loved i'm still selfish like fuck you know is this stuff even working and i'll have doubts um however i did also so i try to do one transformational retreat per year like a dark retreat or a psychedelic medicine retreat or a long fast or like some of a pasana retreat. And so this year I did the Hoffman process and it actually has personality still similar, still struggling with anger, but um, the relationship with my parents is markedly different Yeah, and how it's taught me to thought about thinking about being a dad is, is different. And so I had, you know, I never, there were qualities of my mom that like we struggled when I was younger at times, like in high school, especially I was a bit rebellious and, and going through this Hoffman process totally changed my relationship and any resentment and just like such love and respect for my mom specifically and uh, the qualities I have that I'd never noticed that make me a good leader are actually from her in a lot of ways. And I like told her that, and it was just, um, you know, where there was like some friction before, um, I think a lot of people have this, that there's that line of like, if you think you're enlightened, go home with your family. And my parents spent uh, the entire summer here and like just incredible relationship with them and like so much love and gratitude for like my parents, my sister. Um, so that really stuck. And what's coming up for me that's really working well is not just the psychedelic medicines, but like the work around it. And, and Hoffman is really interesting because it's, you know, kind of the Vipassana of group therapy. So it's like 13 hours a day of group therapy, emotional inquiry, and then crazy expression and somatic release. Like the guy created this 50 years ago is a fucking genius. As someone who creates experiences, I was like, I can't, like my mind is blown at the story arc of this thing. And like all the stuff he created 50 years ago is where therapy is now going. So yeah, talk therapy is important, but it's a lot of like body-based feeling, uh, spiritual self-connection, self-expression through different like vocalization and exercises and done in group. And so it, it totally, like I've never been more impressed with something. Uh, again, some of the integration has been tough. It's now like three months ago, but some of the big rocks have moved. So yeah. that's kind of like, you know, that's all the, my bit of like a journey for, so that's the first part of your question, a bit of a long answer, but I just thought those were some interesting stories. And good. then on the, you know, was that being a dad, like I expected, I, I like one, the birth was just the craziest fucking thing, like such an amazing moment of like adrenaline and like, wow, this is what it is to be human. And it was, it was so like for people who are waiting. So one, like the pregnancy felt like a big deal. And as soon as the baby was born, it was just like, Hey, this is nothing like there's an actual fucking child here. And like, you know, and not saying this is like, it's not hard to carry a child, but I'm saying my wife was like, oh my God, there's so much talk about the pregnancy and the birth and the birth is like one event. And then you have a fucking baby. Yeah. And so a couple of things that happened for me was like, we were in this like nice room in the hospital. It was going to be all great. And then there was some problems with him holding the umbilical cord. His heart rate's going down. I'm like, is this normal? And not really getting a straight answer. And then all of a sudden we're in an emergency room. I'm in scrubs. The lights are on. It's just me and my wife waiting, like holding hands. And like a full bobsled team of women come running out and to see like women supporting each other with such force for birth was crazy. I was almost going to pass out, you know, I'm a little squeamish and I'm watching and they're like holding her legs up, 
push. Everyone's like kind of cheering and like, I was just like, oh my God. You know, and there's a baby and you're, I'm holding him and like looking in his eyes for the first time and just like, that was a very surreal moment. But then we had to stay for two nights at Mount Sinai and second night the alarm goes off and the fire alarm, and I'm like, losing my mind. Like, what the fuck is, is happening? Turn this thing off. Is it damaging? You don't know anything when you're new to dad. You're like, it's just like going to damage his trauma like right now. So I'm flipping out and the baby's crying. And then there's twins in the same room as us, all three just crying the whole night. And in the hospital, there's no like bed for the dad. So I'm just like laying on the floor on a yoga mat for two nights and, and like no sleep. And just like, that's when it sunk in. Like, man, I have a kid. Like I have to take care of this person forever and that's when like the fear and like the oh my god I, do i even like this and it was for and i know it's different for everyone but for me it wasn't and i'm like pretty vulnerable and have just done like thousands of hours of work in these retreats and all this stuff to like know who i am and i was like oh you know i'm gonna have the baby and love him so much like i'm so open-hearted and uh you know love my wife so much and, my, and then fucking it wasn't like that i didn't feel like I had a relationship with him. I felt, and this is going to sound terrible, whatever, kind of felt, like, hopefully he doesn't listen someday, but I felt like it was like a, a pet. And I would think of this really weird game in my head of like, okay, if I had to save one out of a burning building, would it be my son or my wife? And I was like, oh, my wife, unquestionably, like not even close, you know? And, and so then that's changing over time, but I was actually shocked at what I'd seen in movies and like, oh my God, it's his birth. And like, you're instantly bonded. And I'm sure it, some of my dad friends have said that, but for me, it was not like that and I was surprised and I didn't feel a connection for a while and now it deepens every day yeah. uh, but it still feels like not really a person as much despite having these moments I mentioned that are amazing so uh, it's been way different than I thought of you know how I how much I idolized and loved my dad when I was like three and four and five and, and just like oh my god my dad and it doesn't the reciprocation doesn't feel as much and I'm sure it will, as you said, but, uh, that was quite the whole, yeah, the whole feeling of what it feels like to be a dad. Like sometimes I'll look at him and it will hurt that I like love him. And, and then I'm like, Oh my God, am I even, can I even do this? Like, am I going to be a good fucking parent? Like I'll just look at him and this emotions come up and I like don't even want to face them because they're uncomfortable of like what's going to happen. You know, another interesting thing is like I was driving in a, wedding from Spain. Uh, I was taking a, like a shuttle to the airport and the guy was speeding. He's going like 160 in a van, which isn't like crazy fast. But I was like thinking, like, what if I fucking died? What if he got an accident? And I was like telling him like, yo, I was so excited to go home. It's my first time away from my family. I was so excited to go home. I could have fucking waited. And he's driving and I'm like thinking like, oh my God, imagine I got in an accident. And I was, it's kind of like changed my behavior from a safety standpoint too, where I'm like really nervous about him having a dad because I remember what that was like for me how important that relationship is so just think a lot of things I've never thought about before in terms of like intensity of like being a caretaker for somebody and it's like it's very real <laughs> that you are responsible for this person and sometimes it's scary and sometimes I'm like excited about it so again a lot of new emotions that are if you think, feel deeply into them and where they are in the body, there, uh, there's, there's just a, it's a fountain of like all kinds of different things. Yeah. Thank you for the vulnerability and uh, honesty around that. I think that's, 
amazing and I think it's super important and a lot of those things resonate with me and are you're familiar. I remember when you brought Jasper home and I was just like the fear of like what now? <laughs> like at the hospital there's people to help, right? Like they're telling you what to do. And now it's like, oh, this is a twenty four seven gig and I have no idea what to do. It's like you get hired for a job with zero experience. I don't know if you have a younger sibling. Is your sister younger? Or older? I have two younger sisters, yeah. But they're not okay. like not younger where I was like taking care of them. Like they're like two and four yeah. years younger. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that totally resonates and, and also the comment about Steve Rio. I mean, I remember as as part of the documentary, um what I came through on the last five MEO experience, I look up and and I see you know, Steve on one side and um, drawing a total blank on her. What's his wife's Austin. name? Austin. Okay. I see Steve on one side and Austin on the other side. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like to be born in the world, right? And like having like father energy and, and mother energy right there uh, at that moment and, and kind of a loving embrace. And so Steve, he he definitely represents well that, that father energy. And, and so totally i mean we say i wasn't there for that but i totally hear that experience and, and, and that land so thank, thank you for sharing all that one of the things that uh the the speeding thing and the responsibility thing you know one of the things that uh more and more like i, I face that right and the mortality and and you know will i be there for my kid and, and how much of a failure would I be if I'm not there for my kid? And it's interesting how there's a lot of sides to that equation beyond just being like being a good dad. Some of it's just like, am I a failure if I don't do this? Um, and, and it's hard. There's, there's no trip like parenthood. Um, there's that's, that's for sure. And it's for sure. Has, has the experience at all changed what you want to achieve with othership or has that kind of still, no, I mean, not, not yet. And as I said, it's not conflicting too much at this stage. So like most of my work's done from home, as I mentioned, I'll take mornings. It's still at a stage where he's just starting to like move around and only in like really the last month has it started to get like, what you need to, it's like a full court press, Yeah, but we've prepared with help. And I'm still like this idea to build something. Whether good or bad or ego driven or not, it's like very strong. And so I'm curious as to how long that lasts. When does it become like, I don't care about this anymore? Or does it, you know, become even more? So I, I don't think there's been too much of a change in passion for what we're, we're doing. Has it changed at all? Um, I, I hear you because, you know, maybe you decide I don't want to work this hard on other ship anymore and I only want to have five locations and that's enough but has it changed the impact you want othership to have on the world whether it's five locations or 50 locations i think not i mean impact i always this like the practice has changed my life like significantly you know like i was fucking doing tons of cocaine and drinking and like would wake up on like a street corner under a bench. You know, I would like then like smoke a cigarette butt off the ground, like fucking intense stuff. And my personality is needs to be stimulated. Uh, it's just like genetically how I'm wired. And so it's very hard for me to like not be stimulated. And now I've found healthy things that can do that in a way where like I can excel. 
and like these practices were my first date with my wife was in a bathhouse. We did an ice bath together on our first date. I proposed in our garage in the sauna. Like I made a little ice ball filled with a ring and it melted in her hands and she, while she was giving me a massage. And, and so you know, we had our gender reveal in the sauna. I mean, did we talk about that last time by chance? No, we didn't talk about the gender reveal. Insane. So I'm not, I'm not like one for like, um, I always want to have a birthday, but then I feel weird when like I'm planning it. But then if someone does it, I'm like, Oh, that was really fucking nice that people called and like said, but I don't want the attention, but like I do. So I guess I'm always happy that it happens. And so for gender reveal, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do some fucking thing. It's like, it's lame, you know? And so I didn't even know we had the results. And so my, we're at other ship Friday night, full class, like full house, like 50 people. And uh, Harry and Amanda, I think you meant, are like, okay, everyone in the sauna, my co-founders. So they have these five ice balls. And other ship is about aromatherapy. So you put, you know, essential oils in these ice balls, you put them over the stove, you off the towel and it's a beautiful scent. It's like, we're going to, you know, our co-founders are here. They're pregnant. We're going to call on the sex of the baby. It's like, oh, that's fucking cool. Okay. So they throw the first one on. It's lavender. Everyone's like, oh, it's a girl. Throw the next one on. You know, it's like cedar wood. Like, oh, it's a boy. And so it gets to the fifth one. And I'm not like super into it. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. But like, okay, they're just calling in the spirit. Like, they don't fucking know. You know, like, it's just the kooky thing that we're doing. And my wife sees like, I'm not like... Like this is the sex of the baby, and she's like, "No, like I actually had the results. They have them. They know what it is. Like they've it's not like a call in. Like there's three that are one sex, two that are another. So you get to the fifth one, and I'm like, holy shit! Like when they smash this ball, this is it. That's like I'm having a boy or girl. They throw it on. I think it was like tobacco, something like that. And I'm just like, oh, it's a boy. Is it? This is real. And like you know, it's a boy. Everyone's cheering, and these people. Like they paid to come to other ship. They didn't pay for like a gender review to your customers. And like girls are crying. They're like, oh my God, people are like, does this happen here all the time? Like, this is crazy. Everyone's cheering. And it was so emotional for me. Um, I had to actually go home because the energy was so nuts to like spend it with my wife. So that was just a fucking amazing experience. So like all these things have happened to me at other ship. And just like, like every single day, like I was in there on the weekend, there was like 10 people that came out of love and kindness class. And I was like, you know, I just super upset. I forgave my mom. And I, and so like bringing that has always been my passion. And even like, you know, we could have raised a ton of money before and we kind of just like started it in the garage, made sure it was perfect. Self-funded the first one, made sure it was perfect. And so we kind of have a model now that like, I think is, perfect and so it's not like scale at growth at all costs it's just like yeah, i actually think this thing will work in every city and it will be something amazing for people so i'm kind of inspired to help people because it helped me and like having a son hasn't really shifted that in either direction yet but i do think of like i'm really not a fan of the educational system which we can get into and i also have been watching like the blue zones documentary lately with my wife and they're this idea of having a creating a blue zone city, like other ship style city right. of, you know, 10,000, 20,000 people where everyone knows each other. There's all type of leagues. Everything's walking. It's all farm table food. There's like a ton of community driven events at night. So thinking of like what his life might be like is getting interesting. And if other ship mm -hmm. is successful, what could I do with that to sort of, you know, uh, create a better, a better life. But for the most part, it's just, I see majority of my friends struggling. A lot of people I know with drug and alcohol problems or like just yeah. on their phone all the time living in a big city. And 
just fucking pumped to make an experience that is fun, but also uh, transformational. Cool, man. Well, I'm not going to ask you to dive into the educational system. I think we've had an <laughs> awesome conversation to this point, and I just want to say kudos for all the success you've achieved for it so far and all the impact you've had. And I'm going to stop saying success. That's the wrong word. All the impact that you've had. Uh, we, we too often chase success without really knowing what that means. But um, uh, kudos for all the impact that you have, and I've seen it, and, and it's happening. Uh, kudos for being, you know, I'm sure you're an excellent friggin' father. Uh, I haven't seen it in action, but I, I know that the dedication with which you bring to just about everything you do is going to represent in, in fatherhood, even if there's trip-ups and things that are challenging and you feel guilty or angry or anything along those lines. It's all part of the process. And just want to offer that I'm here to support in any way, any way you need, anything you uh, may come across. If you ever want to talk about fatherhood or business or anything along those lines, happy to support you. Uh, any way possible so keep up everything that you're doing and thank you for making the time and showing up again really appreciate it yeah i just love uh, doing the interviews with you man because it's not really about like business it's more just about like real stuff it's a fun conversation and i, I think it would be really fun to do it again in like a year when okay new york's launched i've been a dad now it's like am i selfish and like you know have chosen work am i unhappy that we're growing so fast have i like pivoted more to being a dad like if some of these it's kind of like every question you had, I just had more questions and feelings around them. And so I'm very curious as like one, two years go by, where is my head at? So it might be a nice, another nice check-in in a little bit to see where, how it's all unfolding. When is the New York opening slated to open? I, yeah, I haven't even publicly launched a date, but I'll do it right now. But so like April 10th okay. is the critical path right now. So okay. like, permits have been submitted. GC's hired, long lead items ordered. We're hoping to break ground in uh, three weeks. And then, Sweet. you know, April 10th is the goal. But as you know from building physical fucking things, you know, who knows? But that's right now, if things go to plan, April 10th. What part of Manhattan is going to be in? Uh, so we have one in Flatiron. And okay. uh, we have a second lease signed in Williamsburg and in Brooklyn. So that'll be end of year next year. That's awesome, dude. Keep up the good work. It is it is spectacular. Um, and thank you for doing that location and timing reveal on this podcast. Too bad it didn't involve some ice balls and some lavender, but uh, <laughs> do what you do. Um, but thanks, man. I'd love to check in in a year, but uh, I'm going to hit stop record right now. And, cool. Thank um, you. What time are the things tomorrow?